Yemunla. This is Kaokerama Ivi, Kaokerama, the English version. Kaokerama is a podcast about the representation of the Caribbean in cinema and television. I'm your host, Patra M, and today I'll be discussing the film Bantu Mama with its creators, Ivan Herrera and Clarice Albrecht. So, remember when I said that a Caribbean podcast about Caribbean cinema cannot be complete if we don't talk about the Spanish-speaking community of the Caribbean? Well, we're going to start today with Bantu Mama. So, this episode won't be a review of the film. For my review, you can check out caricaramon.com. This episode is a discussion I had on July the 2nd of 2021 with Ivan Herrera, who directed the film, and Clarice Albrecht, who wrote the story with him. And she was also an executive producer, and she also plays the lead role in the film. Bantu Mama had its world premiere at the South by Southwest Film Festival in 2021. It was the first film of Dominican Republic to be selected at this festival created in 1987. Bantu Mama was also the film screened for the closing night of the Third Horizon Film Festival on July 1st. With this discussion, we dive into the definition of blackness and Caribbean identity from the perspective of a French Cameroonian black woman raised in different African countries and in France, from the perspective of an Afro-Caribbean man raised in a Spanish-speaking country in the Caribbean, and from my point of view. <laughs> By the way, here's a disclaimer. This episode is going to be as Caribbean as it can get. English isn't our first language, the three of us can speak French, but we had this interview in English because I thought it would be more effective for the promo of their film right now. And also, we recorded this interview on Zoom a few hours before Hurricane Elsa hit Barbados. So you'll hear the wind blow a few times, but the weather was still sunny in Dominican Republic at the time of recording. Last but not least, if you listen the episode to the end, you'll get some extra cuts, such as me fangirling over a French singer, and uh, also me realizing 10 minutes into the, the first part of the interview that the main recorder wasn't activated. <laughs> I hope you enjoy this episode. Ivan and Clarice, hello. Hello. Hi. Thank you for having us in the podcast. Thank you for being here with us. So I usually start the podcast by sharing with the audience how I feel, what I've been up to. So how do you feel today? Good. Very good. Yeah, beautiful day. Uh, good weather. And uh, we have a storm coming uh, in the Caribbean, but I uh, hope everything's going to be fine for everyone. Yes, I hope so too. So... Bantu Mama had his world premiere at the South by Southwest Film Festival earlier this year. So can you tell us how 
you get to have your film has its world premiere at this festival? I think uh, the main key was to believe in, in our film and uh, making all the efforts to reach uh, the audience. So we totally honest being with you, we uh, submitted a film just like a regular, we didn't have no connections, no, no sales agents. We just submit the film and we were lucky enough to that, uh, you know, the programmers identified with the film and saw the possible value of it and wanted to do the invite us for the world premiere of the film to be in South by Southwest. And the film is getting amazing reviews. I really enjoyed the film. And we're going to talk about it in the first segment. Yekrik, Yekrak. The Yekrik Yekrak is the segment in which I tell you the plot of the film. So Ivan or maybe Clarice, I don't know which one wants to go first. Can you tell us about the film, the plot of the film? So it's about a French uh, woman of African descent that goes to the Dominican Republic allegedly for a vacation, but she gets arrested and she managed to escape and she's um, sheltered by a group of miners living in the most dangerous uh, neighborhood of Santo Domingo. And how would you describe your film in three words? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> you want to go for it? No. <laughs> I will tell you mine after. Okay. okay. Honoring our ancestors. Okay. Honoring mm-hmm. our ancestors. Yeah. And Clarice, do you have three words? Mm, sharing our identity. Okay. Well, mine was family. It was identity and blackness. So that's what we'll talk about in the Caribbean Connections. The Caribbean Connections segment is to discuss how a film makes me reflect on my identity as a Black woman, as an Afro-Caribbean woman, as a Guadeloupean woman, and as a French woman. So I was really interested by the characterization in your film. I thought all the characters were very simple, but in a multidimensional way. So we understand them and they feel very human. So we're going to start with Emma. She's the lead character. And Emma is a French Black woman. Was she written this way since the beginning? Yes, no, she always, she has always been uh, French of uh, African descent. Uh, but like African descent, like French with uh, African, with uh, a parent from the African continent. And um, I was wondering, because since I'm from Guadeloupe, I was wondering if the story would have been different Um, with Emma being maybe from um, Guadeloupe or, well, just being French Caribbean, 
would the story how would it be different for you it would be different in the way that she will not she will be more close to the dominican characters of the film because she will not be aware or where her african ancestry is from which is something that has emma and she might not identify the same way with the afropean culture depending if she was french uh, from the caribbean living in france uh, or in guadeloupe or martinique i think it's it's all it's different uh, it's a different perspective but it will have that that she will have a different relationship and different connection with the with africa than emma who has a, a parent coming from africa and who can easy easy in, can say she's african easier yes i understand and um, to me it was very important too that she was um that she could identify her african roots um because it shows that black people in europe well black people in general but since we're in the european context we are not a monolith mm -hmm. so just because you're black doesn't mean that yes we have the same roots we share a uh, history together but there are differences and that's a great way to show how these differences are important too to define our identity and well haiti is next door so she could have been also maybe someone from haiti and that would have been another narrative also and i was like wow it shows us just how complex we are and multi-dimensional so i really love that so that was about emma now let's talk about the kids because they were also amazing i was so happy to see so many kids on the screen and they were just kids of course they were doing stuff bad stuff without spoiling the film but in the meantime they were just kids and it feels it felt great because it's something i study in my i research in my podcast It's the representation of Caribbean youth. And mm -hmm. there, aren't, there aren't a lot of examples, a lot of positive examples. And what we have in your films is how even in a, bad, in a bad situation, people are just people. And to see that through Caribbean kids, Afro-Caribbean kids, it just, as a viewer, it was great because i was like yes this is the kind of representation the kind of film that i want to see and i got to see it so after all uh, so he's the older brother and you have cookie the 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 youngest yep. and in the middle you have a t-i-n-a tina yep. and so i'm Arturo and Cookie are great. But I really want to talk about Tina because she's a girl. I'm a girl. I grew up in the Caribbean. She's growing up in the Caribbean. So, and her experience is totally, totally different from mine. So I was wondering, how did you come up with this character? A little introduction. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I would love to 
uh, hear Clarice talking a little bit more about it. But we we knew we we um we needed kids like uh, very attached to some realities. Let's say uh, not everything is like what we see in the film, but we wanted to catch and uh, portrait the realities of kids uh, growing up by themselves and having lots of responsibilities and uh, embracing responsibilities because they just have to in order to survive. So um, when we start to figure out how we're, we're gonna, we were gonna um, make this group of kids and making their own profiles and, uh, and um, describing them, uh, we knew we were gonna have a younger one that needs to be safe in certain way. Uh, one that is going towards the wrong direction, but which is the right, the right direction probably for him. Uh, mm. And then we need to have someone in the middle that can make decisions of, of, of a possible future, right? So, <laughs> Uh, we had that in mind, and after that, I would love to see Clarice expanding a little bit more of it. So, um, about this character, the truth is that she was not a, a girl at the beginning, she was a boy. This character was a boy, and, um, and when we went to meet some kids that would eventually, because we didn't have an audition, we didn't have a casting, we we went to visit a friend of us that has a, that was giving class to um, in this kind of neighborhood, and uh, and invite us for us to meet a couple of kids that he that he thought would be nice. So there they had a little improvisation, and actually one kid was improvising with Scarlett, which is her her real name, and. Uh, but really, her friend wanted to show the boy. But in the improvisation, Scarlett was very impressive. And we were like, oh, I, I don't remember the kid. Not, yeah, I don't kid. remember him. He was a like really, very, really violent kid. Remember him? Like really violent. I, I remember yeah. him like, yeah, skinny. And, and yeah, and he was very violent. The, the improvisation was, was violent. Very, yes, very hood. And uh, and Scarlett was was great, and we were like, oh, wait a minute, <laughs> we need her. And we decided right away, like you know, like sometimes we have that thing that we think the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> and we decide, okay, so I guess. Yeah, when, it's, when, a, it's a girl. Yeah, when you're developing a story, um, mm -hmm. it was our case. You don't have all the answers. Mm -hmm. But you have to be open to start to uh, pick up those answers as you get them, right? Because you can stick to your plan, and I think that's a problem. <laughs> I think yeah, you yeah, have yeah. to be open and uh, have a wider vision and and, and make what it's better for the film. So we saw that, and then everything started to make more sense. Mm -hmm. But we had already written a character that was a boy, mm -hmm. so we went back to the writing process and we started to change everything that needed to be changed in order to have a uh, scarlet as tina mm -hmm. which uh which actually it was not that much it was basically turning he and into she yeah no but also <laughs> but no, also no. some yeah yeah some 
a couple of scenes that are more feminine. That exist, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, so yeah, yeah, it made yeah. sense. Yeah, that's a great segue because that was my next question. It's about this this scene between Emma and Tina, and this scene is also in the in the trailer. So we so we can talk about it without spoiling anyone. Um, we see Emma helping um, Tina doing a head wrap. In Creole, we say a maritet. Emma is basically explaining to her what it means. So she, she's kind of giving her clues about her identity as an Afro-Caribbean woman, uh, young woman. So if, that, if Tina were a boy, would this scene mean possible? Exactly. That's, that's, what, <laughs> yeah, that's, the, that's, that's one that's of those scenes, of scenes that needed yeah, to yeah. be changed. So how, so how did you come up with, uh, with this scene? Because black women's hair is a subject that we keep talking about <laughs> again and again and everywhere. So where you like, we have to have a scene about that. It's interesting because not everybody maybe sees the, the meaning of hair in the film. But actually, there is a lot of uh, under between the lines discussion about the hair. So Hema, through the film, has mm. her own hair evolution. Yes. And and actually, that scene, uh, I I like that because I think that that scene most people would think that it was my idea, but actually it was Ivan's idea to put a scene with the head wrap, and it comes. Um, It comes because um, my mother, by um, she offered um, an outfit, uh, African outfit to Ivan's mother, and she was showing to Ivan the different ways she can wrap because you know it was coming with a wrap, and she was like, okay, if you put it like that, you show that you have money, then you're powerful. If you put it like that, it means that you come from the north. If you put it like that, it means like you're it's very elegant and, and Ivan really likes that. And it's like we have to put that scene in the a scene about that in the film. And and because I, I'm also a, an African woman, I was like, yes, definitely, because this is something that we that we share a lot, this wrapping and this is our crown and this is really something that we wanted for um between Emma and Tina, that there is that, um, how do you say that, transmission mm -hmm. of values mm -hmm. and how, look, uh, look this thing that we do in Africa and in the Caribbean, look the meaning it is, because it, maybe it will not have this meaning that uh, before she met Emma, but now she knows that's your crown and you can wear it to show that you're a queen. And, um, Yeah, and that's it. And actually, the, the very the cute thing is that uh, when, once we start rehearsing with, uh, with Scarlett, she was very excited with the rap and she was very happy and she was very focused on, on learning how to do it. And she really, she was really looking proud, like, wow, I love that. Like, it's a scene that we, re we actually lived in real life, like. Mm -hmm. yeah. We lived it in, in the, at the rehearsal as well that I was telling her and she was very happy with her crown. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it, you know, also the conception of that scene as a 
Clarice mentioned how it was born. I have to mention that uh, sometimes I, myself is represented in those kids as well, because uh, being Afro-Caribbean uh, and getting this knowledge from, let's say, firsthand uh, from a African woman, it, it was in, impactful for me. And I was like, you know, these are the type of things that probably a lot of people, kids are missing in a country like the DR uh, because we, we've been denying our heritage for uh, many, many years. So it was important for that those learnings that I was having, I was putting them on the film too. So uh, in the first hand, the kids, they have it on the film, but in a wider audience, they, the audience is getting this knowledge too. And we're sharing that. That's why cinema is great, because it helps to curate our history, our traditions, and to explain them. Because it's one thing to do something, but if you don't know why you do it, what's the point? Exactly. <laughs> so, so I really, really loved, I, I think I rewind it, because I really enjoyed, and I felt the, the joy Tina had. And, uh, and I remembered also, I tried to do head wraps and I just didn't know how. And it never, I, I never really managed to really do it. But I also think it's because once you really align with your identity and with who you are, then it, it works out. I feel that way because before I started this podcast, I just didn't know who I was. I was really conflicted about my identity. I was born and raised in Guadeloupe. Then I moved to France, uh, to Paris, when, uh, when I started university. And I, you cannot experience racism in the Caribbean when you're in the majority. Mm -hmm. In the same way you experience racism racism when you're in the minority in another country. So it was a lot, it took me like 10 years to understand everything and to, to, to tell myself it was okay to feel that way, it wasn't in my head. Mm -hmm. And then to go back to my roots, doing this podcast is also my way to, to learn, to find out, to discover again, what, what's my culture, what's my history. Mm -hmm. So, and, and that's why I chose cinema as a medium because it's visual and you can also add uh, all, all, you can also add other media, media, mediums, I don't know, like music mm -hmm. and the music in your, in your film too. It was, it, I was, I was um, grooving with the characters when there was music and everything. So, uh, so I, how did you choose the music? Because it's a hood story. It's a hood story, hood folklore. We'll talk about it right after that. But the music you expect is something hip hop and very dark and very aggressive. But it made me want to dance and it made me feel happy when I was watching the film. So how did you choose the music? It was a, it was a very, um, I think it's just, 
how the film is. We wanted to make a film that was uh, original in its own way. And uh, we had freedom of uh, choosing and experimenting with uh, the film. And we just went for it. So we knew that that was an easy formula to start to use all of those uh, type of music and not being uh, experimental enough. Uh, because it's just it's just a common thing to do, right? And we wanted to, and it's the common thing to do because it works. So I won't say it's not it's not uh, fine. It is fine, but it's not the only way. So we were um, finding ways of having a little bit of that, uh, also not having. But we needed to have, and you can you see it in the film. We have some joy moments. Not everything is like stressful and. Uh, and uh, not knowing when it's going to happen. But we also have this uh, uh, relationship between them and how they get closer and how they have fun sometimes, but how it gets tense at certain point. So we were managing all the peaks and lows of the film. And we didn't want to have a music that, uh, first of all, was too much common in this type of film, but also we didn't want to have a music that was very pushy in the emotions we wanted to transmit so we came across uh, a couple of uh, producers that they are very identified with uh, uh, traditional music and instruments of uh, the Dominican Republic and uh, by saying the Dominican Republic most of them uh, come from our African heritage uh, but also they are experimental and working in the uh, electronic uh, ambience, right? So they, they just have like a perfect fusion. And once we start to work with them and they, they start to make proposals, it was just uh, the right people, the right producers to work with, the right composers. And we are very happy that we have a film that is shot on the hood and it's not exactly a, a hood, hip hop, rap. It, you know, it's, we, we expanded a little bit more. And uh, just mentioning this, this couple, one of them uh, grew up in the National Symphony, like uh, the play since little kid, all the, the uh, philharmonic instruments, you know, like uh, orchestra. So they have like a really good base in, in music education, but also are very experimental and also are very uh, uh, traditionals. So that's how we, and it was an experiment. We, we, the first thing we have to, to have is uh, believing in what you are uh, uh, showing and what you are uh, bringing as a final product. But then you, the only thing you can do is wait for the reaction and wait what is the reception of it. Uh, we, and as we can see, it worked out because uh, music has been a subject that it's been talked about and asked in a, almost every interview or um, a review that the film has. So we're glad that we, we could explore a little bit. Yeah, that's good. So I think it's the moment I should just use this opportunity to say hashtag stream Caribbean. I really hope at some point that the, the contribution of Caribbean musicians get actually recognized for what it for what it is. So hashtag stream Caribbean. Okay, so on to uh, 
your definition of um, the hood story, because you said at some point in, in uh, the, the media uh, kit, in the press kit, uh, it's um, it's uh, hood, you, you, you wanted to talk about the hood folklore, but with poetry and a cinematic elegance. So can you tell us what a hood for what hood folklore is in your Caribbean context? Yeah, sure. Uh, by remarking these similarities, uh, we were talking about uh, finding those uh, elements and those uh, char characteristics that you can find in any other subculture. Let's say uh, most of the time when you go to the outskirts of the city, and you go to the suburbs or you go to the neighborhood, you have their own culture and you can see that it's spreading uh, in some other countries happening like the same. For example, in the, in the way they dress, in the way they, um, the music they listen as we talk about it, but also the things that they do, for example, riding bikes mm -hmm. and, doing, uh, <laughs> and doing one wheel thing. It, it's a worldwide thing, but also you, when you see it in a suburb in France, and then you see it in a, in the uh, favelas in Brazil, and then you see it here in the neighborhoods, it's like, wow, it, it's all connected. They all have fun. They all have the same uh, way of expression, as well with the rap. Mm -hmm. So if you see them rapping in the film, you see them having a rap session in the alleys, This is something you can find in many places of the world, and especially in those hoods. You won't find that probably, it's going to be very difficult to find it in 42nd Street in New York. <laughs> you know, you might see it in a, in a Brooklyn uh, corner, somewhere like that. So those are, those are what we're calling the, the folklore, uh, the, the, way, the way of... Uh, a, decorating the houses example the colors that are used especially depending on which area but even because uh, you have um uh, a palette of colors that identify most of the time the caribbean you know it's very colorful vivid etc etc but you might find uh, uh, even those similarities in a house in the hood in the suburbs in france because they They actually have so many um, uh, ways to receive them. Mm -hmm. And all of these come from the motherland as well because of uh, its presence uh, there. It's always, you can see it in the, in the, in the, in the wax, for example, mm -hmm. clothing and, and, all, and all of that. And the art craft and the way they paint. So you can even go under the gray sky of Europe get into one of those hoods, open the door of a house, and you might find this connection with, uh, with the color. So I think uh, it's a very wide um, concept, uh, uh, folklore of the hood, but are those similarities that we want to portray that are this, that are, you know, that you can find them many places. And we have that on the film. And uh, some people uh, in other countries can identify with. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I um, so if you look at 
uh, Guadeloupian films in uh, the most recent years. Well, just in um, selection for the third uh, Horizon Film Festival this year, there was this Guadeloupian film called Timunal by Nelson Foix. And it's also a hood story. And um, uh, at some point, there's a sequence where you see the main character walk walks through the the hood and um you see the the houses you see the walls and uh you see the people also and that's really what i enjoyed also about your film the hood is a place where people live it's a place where people can be happy can be sad um they buy stuff they just live it's yep. not the way you see in um, documentaries and it's just about violence and yep. drugs and how people kill each other. Like you said, it, it's the, um, the most dangerous neighborhood and yet you, you can feel the tension. You can feel the tension, but still you can, it's bright and you see people just going on with their everyday life. And that's the kind of representation, again, that we need to see also. <laughs> so it's great. <laughs> yes, we didn't, we definitely didn't want to focus on the, because all of that is there and we know mm -hmm. that. But so why should we portray it once again if we know there's some other stuff that actually we want to show, we want, as you mentioned, we want mm -hmm. to see that. Uh, this is just uh, this is just another place, and this is just the reality of uh, the people living here. But these people are probably having a a more happy uh, life and some moments of joy and uh, enjoying some some other things that you don't think they do, uh, but they actually uh, they actually embrace that. Mm -hmm. And is there uh, that was something that we knew we wanted to portray mm -hmm. on the film. Uh, and that's where the uh, probably the poetic uh, mm. trying of portraying it was. It was a balance. We didn't want we didn't want to show either like it's a fantasy world that everything is right, but just finding that balance. Mm -hmm. It's what we were trying to do. So we we were always uh, walking on a thin line, and uh, you never know if you give too much or you mm -hmm. are keeping too much for the, the imagination or you are showing too much etc etc so this is a route we decided to to explore trying to show the things with a certain type of uh, beauty how it is because we didn't really manipulate nothing we just probably capture some details that tells you like hey yeah we're in the hood but you know if you look at if you look further you can see that the wind is blowing on this beautiful palm tree and, mm -hmm. and it's amazing or that it's blowing a curtain and uh, the, the the mix of the colors are, are, are giving you a beautiful scene for your eyes. So it's just a matter of focus. So we get to see the daily lives of people living in the neighborhood. And um, since Emma is French, uh, she has to communicate with uh, with the people and um, she so of course she speaks 
in Spanish. Since I'm French and uh, the podcast is also um, also has its French version, so I'm always thinking about how to reach uh, both audiences. So I was wondering when you know you speak to a multilingual audience, how do you decide in which language you going to make your character speak in? And I know it's about the situation and the context, but for instance, there's this scene at the hotel. It's in French. And uh, this scene could have been in Spanish or maybe in Creole, but you decided to do it in French. So how did you decide which language to use? I think the language was always Spanish. <clears throat> it was always Spanish and um, and the scene, uh, this scene in French was in French because that's the reality. Uh, that's the reality of, for example, there is a lot of him, uh, I exist. Mm -hmm. I'm a French woman uh, of Cameroonian descent living in the Caribbean. That speaks Spanish. That speaks Spanish. So am I just one of another one that can speak Spanish. And actually, um, it's very surprising, but there is uh, many African people from France and even from Africa living in the Dominican Republic. Just in my town, mm -hmm. I have another friend, which she, she's from Paris. She's uh, Russian and Cameroonian. So okay. she's French and Cameroonian as well. And she speaks Spanish and she, and she gives bachata and salsa classes. And uh, she had a cousin, she had two cousins living there. So very, I'm not the only one, the only French Cameroonian <laughs> around. And um, so it was always, it was always uh, in Spanish. And this scene is in French because, for example, when I'm with, uh, when I speak with Asian, we speak French. Yep. It's like, uh, depending, sometimes we don't understand uh, French that much. Uh, and sometimes uh, they speak, yeah, they speak better Spanish, but it happens a lot that, you know, if, yeah. if, if they're Asian, we just speak French because yeah, I don't yeah. speak Creole. And we're like, well, are we exactly. going to speak Spanish? This morning, <laughs> this morning, uh, I met two Haitians and we speak in French. So that's the first thing you do because they usually get their education in French. Mm -hmm. So most of them, they uh, speak the language. So since we don't speak Creole, we we know that they might be able to speak French, and mm -hmm. it's just an example. This morning, uh, I was with uh, two um, Haitians, and uh, we had a conversation in French. That's the way we approach them. So basically, what we mm -hmm. did with the film is sticking to the reality mm -hmm. and finding the reality in each situation and what we know about it. But also because of the film we wanted to do, because. Uh, and as you mentioned, it's about the, you know, the situation that she is and what we're saying in the film. But you can make another film that Emma doesn't really talk the, speak the language. So she's very, uh, she have to go with the flow and with whatever the kids are doing there. But um, we wanted to have a different exchange between the, the characters. So mm -hmm. we stick it to the reality. As Clarice, that speaks Spanish, we'll say like, mm -hmm. So she speaks but Spanish. I speak better Spanish than. <laughs> so I I want to talk about uh, the ending. 
without spoiling the ending, of course. I don't know if you know, but right now in France, uh, I, I'd say maybe people in their 20s, uh, in their early 30s, uh, are going through, when I say people, I mean Black, Black people, they are going um, through this debate about their relationship with Africa. Um, there's one side, there's people, although their parents um, were born in Africa, they were born in France, so they are Afropean. And they don't feel connected to Africa as much as their parents uh, do. They don't see Africa, I wouldn't say they don't see it as their motherland, it's their motherland, but they don't see it as a place where they can go and feel accepted and feel like they belong to this place. And then there's this other group who will go to Africa and I'm sorry to say this, but they will act almost as neo-colonizers because they have the means, they have the financial means to live a wealthy life mm -hmm. in a way they wouldn't be able to in France, but they can do it in Africa. So it's, it's kind of like they, they still take advantage of the motherland. So when the film ends the way it ends, without saying how, but has, as of today, can it really be a place where we can feel free? And when I say we, I mean we as Black people, Afro-descendants living out of Africa, can it be a place where we can feel free, we can feel accepted, and we can feel where we belong? It's going to be hard without spoiling the ending, but we can try. I spoiled it last night. Okay. It's a really yeah, good yeah. question, and yeah, we love to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. It's a very good question. And I think it really depends on who you are and why you're coming back, where you're going to Africa, where you come from. And this is something that, that I've learned to understand as a, as a mixed girl, because my father is white, my mother is black. So, and I grew up and I grew up in Africa and my father is a white man who fell in love in Africa when he was 20 and just never came back. And every time he was in France, his goal was to, okay, uh, I need to find a new job to go back there. And I never thought it was not legit, you know? So, and, and I'm like, why somebody of an, uh, an Afro-descendant cannot go back to Africa, you know, if my white father lived his whole life there, almost his whole life and uh, I think it really depends because you can be um, you can be you can act like a colonizer being black you know it does it's not because you're black or you are you have a parent from Africa that you cannot be you cannot exploit and uh, you cannot act like a colonizer as well but I think that what I like about going back there it's more, um, it's more, why not, you know, why not? And it doesn't have to be where you come from. You can be like, for example, uh, a, a very good friend of mine is from Guadalupe, uh, but he, he, he grew up in France and he's been living in Senegal for 20 years. 
and uh, and we saw him uh, last year, and he said like, I mean, this man doesn't even go back to France. <laughs> he doesn't even go back to France. He speaks Wolof, and uh, Guadeloupe is like, well, imagine <laughs> if he doesn't go to France. Guadeloupe is like, so, and I'm like, yes, why not? I always wanted to to. All those years that I've been living in, in, in France, and I love France and I love my country and I love uh, my European roots. And, but I always thought like, I'm gonna go back there because this is what I, why I, because I know it's possible. And now it's even more possible and you can go back and, and have the best of both worlds, like bring a different expertise or a different point of view and you can help the country grow uh, in a different way, in a more um, balanced way. And I think that it really depends on you and, and and you can definitely feel welcome anywhere you go because this is something that, I don't know, you don't heard such thing that ah, we were not received in, in, in any country of Africa. You're always well received. Uh, whether your color is, it, does, it doesn't mean that there is no racism and that everybody loves white people or black people from, from Europe, but it's very easy to feel welcome in Africa. So I, I'm like, it's, the point is really to explore Africa as an option, yeah. as a real option, because this is not what we've been told and we can go there and make great things. And for example, I've seen the mentalities change a lot since I came back in the early 90s in France, even coming from white people or from Afropean, because finally their vision of Africa, you know, the vision, sometimes the vision has a, somebody with parents from Africa is worse than, a, than even a white, white person, because they have this parent that came here for a better life. But now it's different. We, it's different. You can go to Africa and have another life. You, you, you can break the... The prejudices, you know, sure. you, know, you can break the ideas. You can, it's really up to you why you're going and how you're going. But yeah, I think it's, I think the point is really like, yes, we, we have to consider it as a great option to immigrate. And Ivan agrees. <laughs> totally. Yeah, yeah, totally yeah. Oh, Ivan is working on a, how can we go there? Yes, exactly. As she's <laughs> speaking, I'm thinking, yes, for example, me. Is the, that's why you see that it's depending on uh, on each person and what they've been teaching and what their curiosities and what they want. Because as she's speaking, I'm just thinking about, I wish I could go there and, and raise my kids for, uh, in one country of uh, Africa, you know? So, so, yeah, I totally identify and I totally agree with it. Uh, it's possible. And it's a matter of... Uh, Will. That's something um, I, um, I'm researching right now in Caribbean literature because I'm reading, uh, I'm trying to read all books written by Marie Scondé. And uh, it's something uh, she talks about because her characters are traveling all across the world. And uh, some of her early works are set in Africa. She always, well, her main character is uh, always from Guadeloupe. And she talks about how the character struggles to fit in. And to, all, although the character may have been living there for like 10 years or 15 years, but they, they struggle to adapt. They usually go, they usually end up in Africa because in Guadeloupe, they didn't feel, they didn't feel like they belonged either. 
So it's always this search of identity. And in Marie's Condé, I don't feel like it's Africa appears as a positive option. Mm -hmm. But when we watch your film, indeed, we can see, we, we can picture this, uh, the continent as, a, as, a, as an option to live and to be happy also. So it's, uh, again, great representation. This is what we want. <laughs> no, totally, totally. You know, anyway, I think I've been an expatriate or let's say an immigrant most of my life now. I think I'm reaching the point where maybe I lived more abroad than in France, but I will always be French. And, and, and the more I travel, the more I feel French. <laughs> it's yes. like it's when you travel, you're like, but it's in the DR. In New York, I was like, wow, no, I'm French. Like. <laughs> That's not my vibe. We, like, no, no, no. So, it, so finally, you realize you will always be who you are, and uh, you fit where you decide you can fit. And you don't always, you don't always have to fit. You know, it's mm -hmm. like I fit here, but I don't. Uh, like, uh, I will always miss some things. But when I was living in France, it was my country, my language. And you know, in France, when you're Afropian, it's very easy. You have everything, and then. You have your food, your friends, and you live in this mix of cultures. And uh, I was fitting, but not fitting because I, I was always like, ah, I don't know if I see myself living all my life here. So it's it's really it's really yourself, you know. It's it's complicated to fit anywhere when you travel and you decide to settle down. It's always hard to fit, but it it really depends. Like if you maybe the thing is not don't 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 try to fit. Just, just live your life, adapt, respect, and learn, you know, how you can, like, for example, here, I've learned so many things that when I go back to France, I'm like, ah, oh, I wonder why we, we are like that in France. I'm not like that anymore. My God, that's exhausting. And, and so it's more like take the good thing that the, the country where you live has to offer, bring the good thing that where you come from has to put on the table, and do a mix and that's that again that's the same thing don't try to be uh you know don't try to fit denying yourself like most of the immigrants do but don't be don't try to colonize because you think that it's better the way they do it in your country it's like hmm, let's see how how we mix that and how we make something enjoyable for everybody and that's really the the, the thing it's not don't fit, adapt yourself. <laughs> Bring your best and take the best and deal with the rest. <laughs> That's a great conclusion. So my last, uh, well, I have two last questions, but that's one. There's this voice on the radio in the film. And, and I saw in the ending credits, it's LS. It's, it's the French singer LS. Yes, yes. that's just a question. How did you get him to do that? Oh, Alex is my homie. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. like, hey, Ivan wants to put a radio show on the program. Can you? <laughs> okay. Can okay. you can you help us? And so, uh, yeah, he recorded the the radio, and he also produced two two bits. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, my last question would be, what's next? 
that's for you i can talk about yeah, it. yeah. yeah. we um it's been a, a special year with uh not having uh audiences being able to go to a theater and watch a film screen and mostly it's been a online experience especially with um, uh, festivals uh, so we're still we're still uh, in the middle of the year and we have another half of the year uh, try, uh, reaching out at different festivals and uh, exposing our film over there and we need to keep the exclusivity for those um, festivals mm -hmm. uh, where we are We have confirmed, but it's a confidential already, our European uh, premiere. And uh, there's some other territories that we would like to reach before we can uh, distribute the film uh, worldwide. Right. Mm -hmm. We have a sales agent based in Paris. Uh, we're currently, next week, we'll be, uh, the film will be in the Cannes Film Festival uh, market in the Marché du Film. So they're, they're finding uh, buyers and uh, territories to distribute the film. So everyone's doing their work and we hope we can uh, spread and show the film as much as we can. We already have a United States distributor that is going to uh, make a plan for the releasing of the film in... Uh, theaters mm -hmm. and uh, we're just looking forward to see what other territories and how this market thing ends and what where we can reach and if not i mean depending on the results we will try to find a way to uh, mm -hmm. distribute our film in the territories that we don't have any uh, distributor so the future uh, it's uh, still in yeah. the process Yeah, it's a long, it's a long road, uh, and it's a special year still. Again, another special year. But yes, like for example, with the Marche du Film uh, next week, we will probably have some exciting news uh -huh. <laughs> uh, to share. To we definitely want to share the film uh, in the Caribbean as many places we can uh, get, and also. In The, in the African continent. We have uh, been uh, in touch with a few festivals and uh, yeah, we just hope we we're able to uh, share the film with uh, the African audience in the mainland. Great. Well, I wish you the best. If you come to Paris, because I have other questions. I didn't ask everything I wanted to ask, Because in my mind, I feel like we have to meet so I can ask them, uh, I can ask you all these questions. So I hope we'll get to okay. meet in real life. <laughs> And uh, thank you so, so much for your time. Um, I hope you enjoyed this interview. <laughs> And um, yeah, everybody, you should watch Bantu Mama. If you see it in a, in a film festival, just go. When I see films like that, I feel like We're getting there. So I really hope we get to see more and more films from Caribbean filmmakers. So thank you so much. And I wish you the best with your film. Thank you. Thank you. It was totally a pleasure for us. Yes. Thank you for listening. 
If you want more film reviews, more book reviews, more music video reviews, go to my website, carlclermont.com. Make sure to subscribe to my newsletter to keep up with all my projects contributing to my celebration of Caribbean culture. You can follow me on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Medium, and Facebook at Caracaramo. See you for the next episode. Chambered. Okay, okay. So I was wondering because I was a fan of LS when he was uh, in Aphrodisiac. Oh yeah. Back in the day. And then he he released a duet with uh, Guadeloupian singer Stevie Mai two years ago. And uh, I love this song so so much. So yeah. So when I was when I heard his voice, I was like, this sounds very familiar. And then mm-hmm. I, I saw his number, I was like, I have to ask how. <laughs> okay, so now I have my, my answer. The Yik Hik Yik Hak is the segment in which I tell you the plot of the film. Um, question. Uh, um, do you have, do you know what Yik Hik Yik Hak means uh, in French? Well, in French more, in Creole. I, I don't know exactly what it means, but it reminds me of um, I don't know the title in, in English. Sugarcane Ali. Uh-huh. By Ozan Palsi. Ozan Palsi, yeah. What's the title? Sugar Cane Ali, but I think there are two titles, but the one I saw the most was Sugar Cane Ali. Okay. Well, you remind me of that movie that I remember that there were a character like Yekhi and the people were repeating Yekha. Yes. So when I, when I saw it, I was like, oh. Yes. I remember that. That's... And then she explained it to me because I didn't have an idea, and she was I very surprised. Yeah, 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 because it's an old souvenir. Because it's a film I, I saw when I was a kid uh, with the in, in school, at school, and um, and yeah, I know it has something. Oh to my do god, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I just realized I forgot to hit record. Record. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I'm okay. sorry. Spontaneous again. <laughs> oh, okay, 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 okay. Sorry about that. All good. <laughs> at least I, it was at, at the beginning. Yeah, at an introduction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was an introduction. <sighs> okay, we're going to start. Recording over. in progress. Okay, recording in progress. We're good. It's okay. <laughs>